But we are going to go back into Acts chapter 16. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 16 of God's sovereign work of wrestling through the lives of people, bringing redemption to uh, Lydia, uh, the woman from Thyatira who was transplanted to Philippi, uh, God transforming a, a demon-possessed woman, uh, God transforming a whole household of the, uh, the Philippian jailer, and how God works in mysterious ways and how his grace will work despite circumstances. This morning, what we're going to do is go back into uh, Acts chapter 16. And you're going to find, um, as I have, is that just because you preach through a section, a section of scripture can have thousands of sermons. Thousands of sermons. And it's going to speak differently each time that we read it. Uh, still, still the same truth. Different seasons in our life, we're going to hear the Spirit of God just saying something. So this morning, what I want us to look at is uh, Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16 and going through 40. The title of the sermon is How to Be Right When Wronged. How to Be Right When Wronged. As we are going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination. Anybody remember what, what that spirit was called? Spirit of? Yeah, serpent, pythonic spirit. Spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They abdicate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all who were in his household, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. 
And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to you, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison, visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. So on Memorial Day, I'm going to draw attention to Americans. We as Americans uh, have this thing about standing up for our rights, don't we? These are my God-given inalienable rights to have this, to do this, to have these certain kind of protections. And when our rights are violated, we don't take them sitting down at all. We will protest, we might sue, we might write our congressman. I don't know how many people actually write congressmen anymore, but we might write our congressman. We'll take courses in assertive training so that next time that this happens, it, it, we'll make sure that it won't happen again. We might even write a nasty, nasty gram of a blog post and put it out for the rest of the world, letting the world know that our rights have been violated. We'll do whatever it takes to get our rights. And we don't do well when we are wronged. The fact is, is that most of us as Americans have never experienced any serious form or violation of our religious rights. That's just the fact. We don't know firsthand what it truly means to be persecuted. Perhaps some of you may have felt ostracized at work because of your religious beliefs. Maybe in your school setting, people may have made fun of you or one way or the other. Maybe even in a family setting, when you go to family functions, you're that person or that couple or those people. And you might receive some kind of huh, head nod or raised eyebrow about your religious beliefs. But the reality is very few of us really know what persecution is, what it really means to be wronged. The reality is we have no clue what it even looks like to live in, in a present-day communist country or in a heavily Muslim country. They would do far better in effectively preaching this section of our text than I could ever do. But the reality is that we believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed and therefore useful for teaching and instructing us and guiding us into all truth to be faithful followers of Him. Therefore, this text speaks to us as Americans in our comfortable society. We got to know that Paul and Silas, as Roman citizens, had the right to a trial before any kind of publish, uh, punishment was exercised. Romans were exempt from any kind of public beating. And yet, these two missionaries were falsely accused. They were beaten, thrown into the inner prison with their feet locked into stocks with any kind 
without any kind of semblance of a trial. Their right had truly been violated. If anyone had the right to be angry, they did. If it had been in America, they would have taken this, their case before the courts and the magistrates, the judges would have been tossed out. Their response teaches us how to be right when we have been wronged. And this is going to be our theme this morning. John, you can throw that up. This is our theme that we're going to work through. When you are wronged, when you are wronged, entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. When you are wronged, entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I'm using the words from 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Peter 4.19, which is one of the two times in the New Testament where God is called the creator. Romans 1.25 is the other. This, this term, God is creator, emphasizes his omnipotence, his sovereignty. And we see his mighty power here in the earthquake that just rocked the prison, right? Either the the quake or God's miraculous power loosened all the prisoners' bonds and Yet the same power that sent the earthquake could have prevented, could have prevented the beating and imprisonment in the first place. But it didn't. So the lesson here that we have got to understand and wrap our heads around, first lesson is this. Count on it. Count on it. You will be treated wrongly. Count on it. Some of us are surprised when we, when we as Christians are wronged, aren't we? It's like, are you serious? That just happened? How did? But according to this section here, we are to count on it. Count on beating, being, being treated wrongly. Peter told his persecuted readers, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among us, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing has happened to you. Don't be surprised. It is going to be coming. Don't be surprised. Just because God is um, the, our omnipotent, all-sovereign creator does not mean that he is going to spare you or spare me from any kind of intense trials. It's false teaching that Christians are exempt, are exempt from common trials that come to everybody else. Sickness. Poverty, tragedies, death. And in addition to these common trials, we can expect even more trials because we are Christians. Expect it. Note some of the ways that Paul and Silas were mistreated. First, we can see here that there were false accusations. The reason for the anger of the slave girl's owners was not because she was, had the demon released from her, but because their financial resources were now gone. She was no longer their source of income. So they were deeply angered. But they did not mention that when they dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates, did they? They didn't even bring that up. Rather, they accused them of throwing the whole city, I love the exaggeration, the whole city into confusion claiming, you know, man, they, they, they're telling us that we got to accept these customs which are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or observe. 
Those charges simply were not true. That sometimes you will even be falsely accused. Further, there was racial prejudice that was going on. There was this idea of they were being Jews. These men are as being Jews was a racial slur. You've got to understand in AD 49, Claudius, the emperor, had expelled all Jews from Rome. More than likely, this story, this section of scripture was taking place in the fall of AD 50. When the tensions were still high. There was a high anti-Jewish sentiment that was just running rampant. And the Jewish religion was tolerated, but the Jews were prohibited from proselytizing, from recruiting Romans to become part of their movement. Also, Paul and Silas' legal, legal rights were violated. They were assumed guilty without a hearing or a trial. They were not given the opportunity to defend themselves. They were physically attacked in, in an inhumane way. They were locked, locked down, tied down, put in the inner prison. The ultimate, It's like the, the deepest place of security, the inner prison. It would take a long time to get out past a number of different guards. These guys were not going to get out. We should not be surprised when we are treated wrongly. God does not give us an, ex an exemption even when we are in the middle of doing his will and pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. Even when that is taking place, we should not be surprised that we are wronged. His, Paul and Silas were not just sitting in jail and lamenting and saying, man, maybe we just missed the signals. Maybe God didn't mean for us to come to Macedonia are we out of God's will? They didn't sit there in, in prison going, man, we screwed this one up. We're outside of God's will because look at all these bad things that are happening to us. Being in the will of God is not a guarantee of protection from trials. Paul warns those going through suffering, suffering to be on, sorry, Peter warned those who are going through suffering to be on alert, to be watchful. Since the devil prowls around like a, a what? A roaring lion seeking to devour anyone in his pathway. Be watching out. Satan is looking. While you're suffering, Satan is looking for you. And in those times of trial, Satan tempts us to think things like, if God exists and God is good, why didn't he protect you from this extreme situation? And those are the lies that Satan loves to throw into our head of, man, I thought God was good, huh? It's kind of like an Adam and Eve kind of little vignette working out in our day-to-day -day lives. Did God really say that? Is God really good? As Peter goes on to show, and as Silas and, and Paul exemplify here, the solution is to resist the devil by being firm in our faith in our almighty God, staying strong. Our trials do not mean that he does not exist or that he is not good. He has a greater purpose than we often understand. Your ways are higher than my ways. I don't understand, God, what you are doing. 
God is omnipotent. He's all-knowing. Our responsibility in difficult times is to trust and obey. Second major lesson that we can learn is that we are to entrust our soul, our whole being to our faithful creator and doing what is right. And, and Paul and Silas shows us kind of four aspects and ways to look at how to be right and respond when entrusting our soul to our faithful creator. How do we do this? Well, first and foremost, when we are treated wrongly, we have got to keep our joy uppermost. Keep our joy uppermost. Paul and Silas's rights were totally violated. Their backs were beaten with rods. Their feet were in stocks and they were locked in, in a dark, inner, grungy, wet, damp prison. And what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns. Praying and singing hymns to God at midnight. That convicts me of my lack of joy and my grumbling over minor irritations in my life. I am, maybe it's not true with you. When I get a minor irritation in, in my work life, in my, my relationships, in a marriage, in working with our kids, working with you, man, the, the first thing that I do is not sing and pray. You know, I don't break into the doxology, praise God from, and if I do, it's more in a sarcastic tone. Praise, you know, kind of convict, convince me of this, God, I'm supposed to pray. But what were they doing in the midst? They were singing and praising God and praying. John Piper rightly states this, and you can throw this quote up. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Seems like an oxymoron in our world, right? But God is most glorified in us and our lives when we are most deeply satisfied and filled with him. Therefore, if we want to glorify God, which is the highest goal for a Christian, is to glorify God with our bodies or with our lives, with our minds, with all that we are, is to glorify God. We must focus on him on finding our joy in him. Finding our joy in him. Scripture commands this. Listen to this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight. Find joy. Oh, magnify with the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Both from the Psalms. Praise the Lord is not just a nice suggestion. It's a command. It's a command. I've heard one of the, that one of the most, free, one of the most frequent uh, commands in the Bible is this. Fear the Lord. That's the number one command throughout all of Scripture is, Fear the Lord. You have a holy respect of his awesomeness, his, his omniscience, his, his all-knowing, his sovereignty. Fear the Lord. Know who he is. The second one is praise him. So in light of who he is, what do we do? 
We praise Him. It, it, and along with the praise, lumped into that category of praise Him, is singing to Him. You can't rightly obey this command to praise Him and to sing for joy unless your heart is filled with joy for Him. Paul and Silas would have been rejoicing in the Lord in the dungeon at midnight under these awful, awful circumstances. They couldn't have been doing it if it had not been for a regular part of their normal life. The only reason that I believe that they in this dark hour could be singing praises and praying to God is because it was a normal part of their everyday life. It wasn't a, oh dang, we're in here. You know what we should do? We haven't done this for a while. Let's sing and praise. No, it, it was a normal part of, man, while we're in this pain, in this rough place, we need to continue doing what we always continue to do. They continued to do it. They had a daily habit of mentally focusing on how great and how wonderful God is and on the many blessings that he continues to heap upon his children. Grace upon grace upon grace. Layers upon layers upon layers. And the greatest blessing that they found is the gift of his salvation by his free grace. As Paul could say that his life is now lived in the flesh, this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for me. Man, I, I can now live this way in the flesh. And as you know, he later wrote to the Philippian church while he was in prison in Rome. He, and the major theme of that letter was joy in the Lord in spite of circumstances. And you get at the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And again, where is he writing this? In prison. In prison. Rejoice, finally, my brothers. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want to give you this command again. Rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 says, finally, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Continue to rejoice. And there's part of me in my fleshly part that just says, man, Paul, I really wish that you would have said, rejoice in the Lord as a general rule. <laughs> kind of general rule of thumb, you know, when it's convenient, when it kind of works out. Rejoice in the Lord as a general rule. But always, always, even when my, it, it has all hit the fan and it is extremely difficult and all I want is out, you want me to rejoice in the Lord always? Come on, Paul, get realistic. But again, he says in Philippians 2.14, he says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. Do all things. And then you go, okay, all things? Are you serious? You want me to do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing and arguing? You want me to do all things? I could handle, you know, try not to grumble too much. That would fit really well, you know, in an American standard version of the Bible, right? Our version, how we would write it, the Paul-inspired version. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. 
always, in everything? It makes you think, did this guy live in, a, in the same world that I live in? Come on. Thousands of years ago. You know, it's not possible that this could speak to me. But the reality is that he did live in the same world that I live in today, that you live in today. He was a man who learned to focus in on the Lord and his abundant grace in every situation. And so he was filled with joy. He was filled with joy even in severe trials. Paul wrote in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance, endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in our suffering. Because our suffering produces these things and it ultimately does what? It grounds us in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He told the Colossians, the church in Colossae, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Sounds kind of masochistic, doesn't it? I rejoice in my suffering. I love this. But he's saying that. Was he a masochist? No. He was simply obeying the words from Jesus from Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad when you're falsely accused, when you're going through severe trials, when your rights are violated. James even says... Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy because these trials, what are these trials doing? You're to find joy in them, but what are these trials ultimately doing they are keeping you steadfast they're keeping you focused they're keeping you dependent on the lord it's not just enough to grit your teeth and bear it i'm gonna take one for the team it's not what it's about god wants us to rejoice in them we need to keep in mind that Paul and Silas did not know the end of the story like we do today. They, didn't, they weren't sitting in pra prison, you know, praising God, singing and having a, a hoedown praise concert of their own, leading all the, the prisoners to Jesus and, you know, sharing the gospel and praying because they knew in a few hours that we were going to get out of prison and we're going to show them magistrates. They had no idea what was coming up in the next couple hours. For all they knew, they could have been spending the rest of their life in this Philippian jail. They could have been brought up on charges and tried. They could have been left there for dead. They had no clue. But in the midst of this all, they worshipped God. Can you do the same thing? Not knowing what tomorrow may bring. 
Here's my conviction, and throw this one up for me, John. A cheerful, joyful spirit does not depend on having wonderful, trouble-free circumstances. It depends on daily cultivating joy in the Lord. A cheerful, joyful spirit does not depend on having wonderful, trouble-free circumstances. For most of us, we've been raised that having a wonderful, trouble-free circumstances is what brings us joy. Because it's rooted in us and the things around us. And we become dependent on our job, our spouse, our workplace, our financial income. We become dependent on that to bring us joy. And when it is trouble-free, that brings us joy. But this is, this is totally backwards, isn't it? A Christian's joy depends on daily cultivating joy in the Lord. G. Mor uh, Campbell Morgan observes this about, uh, about the guys in prison. He says this, He did not sing because he was to be let out of prison. He sang because prison did not matter. It was just a circumstance. It was a blip on my screen. I sing because that's who I am. I sing because my joy is found in the Lord in all circumstances. I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice! Even when I'm thrown in prison. My singing does not depend on my circumstance. My joy does not depend on my circumstances. My joy depends on the one who gives me joy. The only way that prison and mistreatment and a raw back do not matter is when the delight of God matters more. We are all in some level going through a valley, right? Struggling. The question for us is, what matters the most? George Mueller put it this way. The chief business of every day is first to seek, first of all, to seek to be truly at rest and happy in God. That's your, your chief business, first and foremost of every day, is seek to be truly at rest and happy in God. I emphasize this point so much because it is foundational to everything else. It's critical. So many professing Christians are grumbling, discontent people. And like the children of Israel, they think that they would be happier back in slavery under Pharaoh's hand than to be with God and his provision in the wilderness. Cultivating joy in the Lord every day is not optional. It is mandatory for all who know his salvation. Anybody feeling a little convicted, a little troubled right now? 
Because so do I. Where's my joy found? Next thing that we, we see Paul and Silas working out and how to entrust our soul to our faithful Savior, our faithful God in, in this whole thing and how to be right when we are wronged is keep your witness to others in mind. When we are treated wrongly, keep your witness to others in mind. Paul and Silas were not singing so that they could be good witnesses. They weren't putting on a show in prison. They were singing because their hearts were full of praise toward God and the joy of his salvation. Scripture talks about out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. When, when, you, when you are filled with joy, you naturally speak out. You sing out. You praise God. You pray. It just, I am just, I cannot help even in this tough time to bubble up out of the goodness of God and speak. The overflow of their worship, the overflow of their worship was a witness. The overflow of their worship was witness. And that's how it always should be. The world should see or hear our joy in the Lord from the dungeon and ask, what's with these people anyway? Who are they? Man, my hope and prayer in Oklahoma, as devastating and debilitating as that was, I hope the Christians in that time just say, man, my joy is not found in these things. He, he gives and takes away, but blessed be the, the one who has given it to me in the first place. My joy in pain is just bubbling over. And when people ask those questions, then we tell them. Our lives back up the reality of the message. Our lives back up the reality of the message. Luke notes that the prisoners were listening to them. They're they they keyed in on what was going on with Paul and Silas. And they always are, of course. Prisoners are always tuned in. Those who are prisoners in Satan's domain of darkness are always listening to and watching the Lord's people. Especially in times of trial. We, we don't view our neighbors around us, those who are not in Christ, as prisoners. But the reality is, is that they are. They are captivated by Satan. We have been released from his captivity. And they are always watching and listening. And if Paul and Silas had been, been having a pity party because their rights have been violated and they've been treated wrongly, and they deserve to serve the Lord freely. Well, they would have been quite depressing, and they would have been complaining, and they would have missed a great opportunity to witness. Anytime your rights have been violated, and you have been mistreated, and I'm not just talking about politically, when it comes to a law issue, but when your rights in the workplace are violated, in your, in your relationships, your rights have been violated, you are probably looking at a wonderful opportunity for bearing witness to Christ. 
Years ago in the former Soviet Union, a criminal who got saved in prison and later became a, a church leader wrote about his experience in prison. Among the general despair, while prisoners like myself were cursing them, ourselves, cursing the camp, the authorities, while we opened up our veins or our stomachs or hanged ourselves, the Christians, often with sentences of 20 to 25 years, did not despair. One could see Christ reflected in their faces. Their pure, upright life, deep faith and devotion to God, their gentleness and their wonderful manliness, I love this, their wonderful manliness became a shining example of life for thousands. Not many of us would ever go through what Christians and communists or Muslim countries have to endure, but we will be treated wrongly at work and at home. And with Paul, we should aim to do all things for the sake of the gospel. All things for the sake of the gospel because prisoners will be listening to us. They will be. So focus on joy. Focus on your joy in the Lord and don't forget your witness. The third thing that Paul and Silas showed us is that when you were treated wrongly, trust. Trust the sovereign all-powerful God to work for his glory. Trust him. Truly trust him. And I have a hunch that if most of us had gone through what Paul and Silas had gone through, what they suffered, if, if we were praying at midnight, it would be something like this. Okay, God, get me out of here. Right? That, that would be your prayer. That'd be my prayer. Get me out. I'm scared to death of what's on the other side. Get me out of here now. Lord, you start bargaining with God, right? Listen, I will do whatever. I will be a missionary to Cambodia and I'll live in a hut for the rest of my life. Just get me out of here. Listen, Lord, if you want me to have 12 children, we will have 12 children. You want me to give away all my finances? Oh, Lord, I will do what. Just get me out of here. And you start making those kind of prayers. I can't prove it, but I have a hunch that Paul and Silas were not praying that way. They weren't doing, oh, Lord, kind of prayers. Instead, if they had been praying that way, as soon as God sent the powerful, if they had been praying, oh, Lord, give me out, and the earthquake came at that moment, what would they have done? All right, we're out of here. Giddy up and let's move. And they would run for their lives. I think if they were offering any petitions mixed in with praise, it would have been, Lord, use this situation for the greater furtherance of the gospel. God, use, use what's going on here. I have no idea. I know you're sovereign. I know you know all things and you control all things and you work all things together for the good of those who love you. I know that God used this situation for the greater furtherance of the gospel. Use me in this situation. My, my impending maybe death, I don't know what's going on. My forever imprisonment here in Philippi. I don't know what's going on. Me being chained up next to this guy. I don't know, God, how you're going to use it, but use it for the greater furtherance of the gospel. Use this situation. And Paul and Silas knew that God could have prevented them from even being thrown into prison in the first place, but he did not do so. 
God allowed that situation to take place. For whatever reason, we don't know. Your ways are higher than my ways. I don't know, God, you're sovereign. You're ruling over this all. But they trusted he had another purpose in mind. And so he did. Namely, what was the purpose? The conversion of the jailer and his family. I could not have orchestrated that. I couldn't have done that. As Paul later wrote in to the Philippians, his aim was that with all, of it, with all boldness, that Christ even now, as always, would be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Paul trusted God to work his purpose for his purpose and glory, whether Paul got delivered or whether he died in the process. He trusted God. The real issue when you're wrongly, wrongly treated is, do you trust in a sovereign, omnipotent God who could have prevented this situation if he so willed? Do you trust in that God? If you do, then the next question is, to pray, or the next thing to do is to pray. Lord, use this difficult situation. Use this difficult situation for your glory to further your purpose. And maybe some of us need to write that down. Tape it up on your mirror. Lord, use this difficult situation. Use it for your glory, to further your purpose. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm in this right now. It's painful. It's yuck. It kind of angers me because it inconveniences me. But God, use this situation to further, greater, further your purposes. And you receiving glory and your gospel going forward. Use it, God. The reality is that whenever Paul was a prisoner, I love this, if you look at all how he wrote his, his letters, his epistles while he was in prison, he never said, Paul, a prisoner of that scoundrel Caesar who unjustly put me in prison. He never did that. I would have. Right? Instead, what is he? He always is, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus who I am. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He trusted in the sovereign and all-powerful God who easily could override, overrule Caesar if he chose. But does this mean, does trusting God mean that we should never stand up for our rights? Should we become Christian doormats? Just allowing people to walk over us when injustices are done? And do we just take things passively and just say, well, it happens, God's in control. Go ahead, have a walk over me. That leads to the last point. When you're treated wrongly, know when and why to stand up for your rights. When and why. And it, we've got to get the when and the why right because or else we become knee-jerk Christians who just say, now's the win. But when you lose the why, you miss it all. We don't know why, but for some reason, the next morning, the magistrates sent to the jailers, sent to the jailer and told him, hey, release Paul and Silas. They don't, I, it doesn't say if 
someone let word out that, hey, just so you know, Paul's a Roman citizen. You might want to let him go. We don't know why. Maybe God was working in their heart. Maybe God was working in their heart to release them. Maybe they thought that the beating and the night in jail would just send these guys packing and they'd never come back again. But the point is that Paul said, no way. Hold on a second. They violated our rights as Roman citizens. We demand that they personally come out and that they release us. That is the way it is. And why did Paul do it? Two things. Paul was concerned for the justice of all people. For all people. And what these magistrates did was grossly wrong. They broke all the rules. He knew that by making them come out and personally apologize and escort them out of prison, word would spread through the community of what would happen, of what happened. You imagine if you got thrown into jail, generally what happens if you get thrown into Cook County Jail, the judge does not come down and release you even though he executed the, the judgment on you. It's usually the jailers that let you loose, right? And process you and let you out. Not that I would know. Maybe some of you do. But instead, the prisoner says, I was in here wrongly. I am not leaving this place until the one who gave the judgment comes down. That is going to spread through a community. It would be a very long time before these officials would beat a man without a trial. And Paul's actions helped them become accountable to carry out justice for others who would be accused of some crimes. The next time, these men would follow the Roman law. Second, Paul was concerned about the future of the church and the gospel in Philippi. By making these officials realize that they had committed a serious offense against Roman citizens, Paul ensured that they would not trouble the Christians in Philippi again. Also, if he wanted to come back, if Paul wanted to come back to Philippi, he knew that they would not prevent him. So he stood on his rights in order to protect the church and the cause of Christ in that city. He knew the when and the why. And in line with that, Paul showed the entire city he showed the entire city, which would have heard about this incident, he showed the entire city the spirit of Jesus Christ. <laughs> By rights, Paul could have had their heads if he would have taken their case to a higher authority. He let their wrongs go unpunished, but, and by his actions, showed that Christians are not out for personal vengeance. I'm not out to get you. The Spirit of Christ is to forgive them those sins that are committed against us while at the same time holding them accountable to change behavior. This one incident does not exhaust, hear me, does not exhaust the biblical teaching on what to do and when to stand up for your rights and when to let them go. Okay, it's not exhaustive because, you know, I, I look at and there's my... My news feed of looking at childhood sexual abuse and how churches handled it. There's a, there's a scandal going on in, in the church in reform circles about how, how to stand up for the rights of those who are not being cared for and 
where justice should be served. This does not go in all depth. Some wrongly teach that we should never defend ourselves, whether legally or against aggressive attacks against our character or person. We should sit back and just let it happen. So Paul wrote the entire book of 2 Corinthians to defend his character and his apostolic ministry. The entire book about defense. Doing what is right. All I can say here is that when you are treated wrongly, your response should be motivated by the furtherance of God's glory and the gospel. That's what should motivate and drive you. And by the administration of God's justice through law and government, which he has appointed for the well-being of our society. The main application for this, this section of Scripture, for me, the main thing is to work on having joy. Work on having joy in the Lord in every situation. And that's my prayer for us. That we find joy in the Lord. Deep joy, not happiness. Happiness depends on the circumstances. But we find joy, which is deep and abiding, that is lasting. And everything, I believe, flows from that. Everything. If I re radiate his joy, it's because I've entrusted my soul to him. The faithful creator. And then even when I'm wronged, wrongly treated, and I have deep joy in him, he will be glorified. He will be glorified and others will be drawn to our Savior. May God enable us by the power of his spirit, enable us when we are mistreated, when our lives have hit the wall and everything has hit the fan to imitate these men, these men of God in entrusting our souls to a faithful creator and doing what is right.